Hail and well-met adventurers. My name is Roy, and I am the Intrepid DM. And this is the Intrepid DM Journeys. This is chapter five of our adventure, and tonight's guest is Alan, better known as Asmodeus from the Twitch channel Let's Play with the Devil. Asmodeus is a variety streamer on Twitch and an online DM that has years of built-up experience and is currently running a Barbarians of Lemuria game, which I have the pleasure of guesting on as the sleazy Danny Kuberman, along with some great streamers such as Tonic Boom, The Nick's Big Thing, and Magic Spoon. I'm so glad you decided to join me and escape the heat from the lower plains and come to the north a little bit. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? Thank you for the welcome. I gotta, I gotta say that was so professional and well, well said, well done. That was good to hear. Just, just listening to it was good. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm good though. It's nice to get away. Uh, hell, this time of year, you know, it gets a little uh, steamy, so it's nice to be up or down rather. No, up, yeah, up rather. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, is we just started playing. Uh, I guess on your show, we're doing a a few episodes of barbarians of lemuria it's it's quite a change to be playing um, oh, yeah. i don't i don't get that opportunity a whole lot forever dm <laughs> <laughs> well i i do have a dm that runs around here but generally yes i am running for everyone else and you know what can you do it is in the name <laughs> yes it is a pleasure to run though it is always yes seeing the the smiles on people's face as they're mm -hmm. playing through your story which Definitely. is what we're going to be talking about tonight, is stories. How long exactly have you been playing tabletop role-playing? I started when I was, this is going to be telling on myself a little bit, I started when I was right under 13. I had some friends at school I saw, they had the monster manual in their backpack. And, and I remember mm -hmm. going to bookstores even before then and just seeing them, you know, and all the time they would be like adults only. So even, even more so, you're like, oh, I got to read that. Um, <laughs> But I remember they had the monster manual and they would just let me like thumb through it at school. And finally they invited me over to hang out over the weekend and we played some D&D, &D, which in hindsight was the worst game of D&D &D ever played. Every game we played was so bad. It wasn't until much later that I figured out like what what it could be and like what kind of stories you could tell. So uh, around 13 and I'm now 31 years old. So a little over 17 years, 18 years, something like that. That's still a plethora of knowledge that you've gained over the years they sometimes say bad dnd is better than no dnd <laughs> that's but beautiful it's it's not always true it depends on this the why it's bad true i mean if it's if it's bad because the people are you know bad people right. then it's toxic not in it. some way definitely but if it's it. just you're learning the basics and yes. you've got a new dm that's not used to it uh -huh. and uh they can't bring that story together it might be bad dnd &D, but it's a learning experience for a dm definitely yeah and so, of course we had we had a great time and uh i mean just as an example one off i remember one of the first things we did i was just playing i made you know the character process even just making it when you first get into it like who knows if you're doing it right but i remember my friend that was with us playing mm. made a hound archon and they yeah. just took the stats from the monster manual <laughs> so like i was like a level <laughs> two fighter and he was a cr what is a hound archon like a cr 10 mm -hmm. at least uh monster that they were just rolling through that's just a uh, you know no idea really what we were doing but we had a good time so it wasn't in the toxic sense it was just uh, not really knowing what was going on oh yeah no no i 
I have plenty of those experiences. You <laughs> you write up a character, you mm-hmm. read the stats and everything else, and you're like, I don't need these. I just need to know what my character <laughs> is. Yes. And then we just roll a die 20 and high roll succeeds. Yeah. Um, that was the very beginning kind of play. But right. uh, once the rules got down, it, it really cleared that up. Yeah. So with that, you kind of gave me the gist of your first time of playing. How has that really shaped your expectations of the game Mm -hmm. and tabletop role-playing games as a whole? What has that done for you going forward with them? Hmm. It's interesting because like that, my first intro to it really didn't, I feel like, influence me. It influenced me because it gave me that, you know, that first taste. And I really became obsessed with it. And I was like seeking it out. No one else, I'm from a very small town, so no one else was playing it at all. Um, until I was much older, not much older, I guess, when I was 17, maybe 17, 16, 17. Uh, I was in a band um, and this guy would come around and he played drums. And so he would jam with us and he'd jam on the drums. And he talked about he would go to this game um, after we would jam and I was just like begging him all the time to take me. And finally he took me because he was like 25, 26. So, you know, none of these guys wanted to hang out with a 17 year old, <laughs> but I would just go and I would bring like drinks and I would just sit there and watch them. I, I wouldn't even play for, for months. I just came once a week just to watch them play. Cause it was so good that there was so much storyline and there was so much lore and it was so in depth and like all the characters had weight and gravity and they like they're, their actions on the world like reverberated and they were they were almost an epic level campaign so it was really just like high end stuff so i would think i would say honestly that kind of has influenced me because i almost don't know any gameplay that's not high level like i love beginning gameplay but i really want to get you know where you're jumping planes and you're talking to gods and you're resurrecting your friends and you're fighting dragons like that's my ideal kind of gameplay i can totally see that i've i've only played a handful of like epic level stuff myself right Oh, yeah, so rare to get there. I've ran high level quite a few times. And once you get to that high level, it seems like your your DM style really needs to change. Like for me, it went from being, you know, 50-50 with combat role play to more 25% combat, 75% role play. Because the guys and gals who I've run for, they're they're not power gamers by any means right but the power scope at those higher levels is just you know two three rounds combat's done period yeah or you die in one shot you fail a save and it's auto death you know it's not a detriment to the party they just resurrect them but yeah it's definitely if you're not ending it quick it's it's ending you real quick so Mm -hmm. so at that point i i guess for like a for like a dm like myself i chose to go more the you know, here's the social situations, right? How are you going to navigate them? And if combat breaks out, you know, then we'll deal with combat. But for the most part, your power scale most often deters people from fighting you. Right. Or at the very least, you're dealing with circumstances and events that are your power can't necessarily immediately overcome. Mm. You can't just kill the king you disagree with. You could. Uh, it's not going to fix anything. In fact, it'd probably make things worse. You know, that kind of those scenarios or your immediate actions can't fix it. Mm. Where do you draw the majority of your inspiration from when it comes to playing games, whether it's Barbarians, Alomoria, Dungeons and Dragons, 
Mage the Ascension, anything like that, where are you drawing it from books, movies, music? What kind of Influence. genre? Yeah, yeah, genres. Um, so re- in my younger years, I had a really a real thirst for different mythologies um, mm-hmm. from different cultures, Egyptian, Norse, Greek, um, Native American, which is really anything I could find and, and read. And so I feel like that really influences a lot of my decision making. I always base and build a lot of my worlds around the gods first or, or the religious entities that kind of like move and sway the world. Um, so besides that, besides mythology and, and mythological stories, really like um, different anime or cartoons, I feel like always have not just really good stories, but really fantastical settings that you can kind of like really sample from and you see something inspiring or really outstanding or outlandish. You know, that's always fun to kind of pull from and uh, add into your world. Along those lines, animation, uh, I do know because I watch Japanese anime yep. and I find that the storytelling from Japanese anime seems, and this this is a personal opinion of mine, the stories Japanese anime tells is much more in-depth because mm-hmm. they take their time to build it than American cinema. Right. Good, good anime, yes, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, there are good American cinema right. that you can watch. It's just very few and far between. Uh, I feel like their messages and their their storytelling just get muddled at times. Right. I honestly think in American cinema, and I, I hate to broad stroke anything, but with especially cinema in general, um, the story they the stories they tell are would be considered boring D and D campaigns. Like the generic things happen. You you fight the guys. You win. You save the day. Like the way I play D and D, I think that would be very boring. Mm. It's just so generic and it's so straightforward and like everything's black and white. The bad guys are bad guys and the good guys are good guys. And there's not a lot of ambiguous decision making, you know, it's not mm. a lot of gray area. So I do appreciate that, at least in series or in reading, you know, you you read it or if you if you watch a series, they're, they're going to have a lot more to a chance to kind of delve into um, people's motivations and not just their actions. Mm. OK, so playing tabletop role playing games. You've had 17 years, you said, uh, to build up your knowledges. Have you primarily stuck to one? Or is there a favorite amongst the probably many that you've played? Do you mean systems? Yeah, systems-wise, that stuck with you. Right. Um, well, like that group that I, I told you about that I really kind of learned what real D&D could be and the kind of storytelling that you could tell, they were the first group to introduce me to World of Darkness. So you're, you got your Vampire the Masquerade, your Werewolves the Apocalypse, your Mage Ascensions, that kind of thing, which is all very outdated now. Now we're on Vampire 5, uh, V5, you know, and they now they just came out with the announcement that they're coming out with Hunter and a new Werewolf as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really love World of Darkness. I don't know if it was the system. I think the the rules were a little lighter um, than D&D and like Pathfinder and the, that kind of thing that I was used to. So that was nice. And it's a lot more story driven. Combat mm-hmm. is non a non sequitur. You could play a non-combative character who has no interest or ability in fighting and be a completely useful, involved character that's involved in the story and moves the story and moves things. Some of the most powerful characters are characters who are non-combatant. You know, it's their social abilities and it's their abilities to to manipulate. And that that really drew me in. Um, so I love, especially vampire. I'll play vampire any day. I love vampire. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Joe from. Uh... 
how did we miss this podcast was on my last chapter nice. and he was a he's been a dm for mage the ascension and the world of the darkness series as a whole for quite a long time so i actually learned quite a bit about it because my only experience with white wolf games was mm -hmm. the exalted series oh nice yeah I love Exalted. So learning all those things, I now know what people are talking about when they describe this series. And right. I I will definitely have to play it. And along the lines of you saying that characters don't have to be combat focused. Yes, at all. Currently on your Twitch page, uh, you are running Barbarians of Little Maria. It's a die six system. Uh, I play Dana Kuberman in that. I have like next to no combat skills. Yep. I put a couple things into them, <laughs> but you know, my whole thing is just supporting the party in Correct. that. And I find characters like that drive the story for Absolutely. people that do like those combat orientations. So, I mean, if a player comes in and plays those type of characters, um, you want to take the time to listen to the story they're telling because it makes your running style actually a little bit easier because they bring things forth that you didn't know were going to happen in that combat. Exactly. And you can easily set up your, uh, what do they, what do they call that? Um, uh, comedic support. Oh, yeah. I see. You're uh, yeah. Where they make things lighter. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, the word eludes me. Yeah, I, I know exactly. <laughs> I, I, it's on Comic the tip of my relief. tongue. Comic, Comic relief. relief. That's it. That's right. I guess in that sense, Barbarians of Lumaria is only like a six episode thing that we're doing. What yeah. is the longest campaign that you have ran personally? Mm, I think a few years at least. There's been multiple D&D campaigns that went over a year and... Uh, I've played in campaigns that are multi-year campaigns, but I've only ever run a few, maybe a handful that have been over a year long. So I would say the longest is maybe two years. And it's not not for finishing. It's always because, it, you know, the group falls apart or, you know, the schedules change. You can't, you can't meet up or whatever mm -hmm. interest levels wane. We'll have to come back to that because that is actually a good story point when a group falls apart like that. Right. So when we go into our DM tips for this session, which is how to write a story, we need to come back and reevaluate that situation. Two questions I got left for you. These ones are kind of hard because people tend to argue on the first one and have trouble thinking about the second one. All right. So dice, are they just plastic or do they have a mind of their own? <laughs> oh, man. I am one of the biggest skeptics my life is duality. I'm such a huge skeptic, but I just want to believe in magic and I want to believe in aliens and I want <laughs> to believe that the die hear my, my prayers. <laughs> like, and it's hard. Obviously they're just plastic, but so many times some amazing things, you know, happen to the table where you're like, someone wants to do something and you're like, all right, roll a natural 20 and you can do it. And they fucking roll a natural 20, you know, or like someone wants to do something and you're like, yeah, you can do it. Just don't roll a one. And they roll a one, you know, and it really drives <laughs> like this huge dynamic event almost like the die are kind of laughing at you. So, um, it's a hard, I, that's hard. They're just plastic. They're just plastic. I don't collect a whole bunch of die. I'm not a die goblin. I have like a set that I like. Um, and if they aren't rolling the way I like, I don't blame it on the die gods. I blame it on the fact that 
I bought crappy die, you know, like <laughs> they can't be weighted perfectly. So uh, are you a fan of dice shaming or punishment? Like I've, <laughs> I've, I have heard of people like sticking dice in uh, microwaves and microwaving yep. them because they rolled badly yep. or, you know, the stereotypical write a note. Oh, my dice did this today. And set it on <laughs> the paper. Are Shame you, them. Are you a fan of that? Or do you, like you said, just skeptic? They're just plastic. Even though I am a skeptic, I love all that. I love when people personify things and create energy and like put that energy into it. Cause who knows the observation of, a, um, of a experiment changes the outcome, the mere observation of it. So who knows what, you know, you shaming it or you keeping it over here for a little longer is going to affect what roles but i do like that because we used to have a guy or a guy i would play with and he he was a terrible we always just made fun of him he rolled uh a fireball one time and they were high level he's like a 15th level mage uh mm. i think he had like 16 d6 to roll and eight of them were ones like over <laughs> half were ones and a bunch of them were like twos and three and it was just so out of this world and that was just the way he rolled but he would do that like he had a die that would just kept rolling one 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 and he would uh drown them he would put them like in a sack and throw them in rivers and stuff to like get rid of them <laughs> like they were cursed i always like that i think that's fun all right tough question why do you dm generally out of necessity i'm also i feel like one of the few ones that's like hey let's game you know <laughs> like i ask my friends like hey you want to get a game together i have this cool idea you know or whatever um so i feel like i'm the one pushing anyway and if you come to people and you're like hey do you want to play D, you generally can't be like okay you dm i'm gonna play a character <laughs> you get the story together you know it's i don't see myself being able to do that so mostly out of necessity um but also i enjoy it i love i love creating a world and i love like you were saying like seeing people like light up when they when dots start connecting in their head or you know they feel really clever because they solve a mystery or they feel really powerful you know they they finally slay this this antagonist they've been chasing so i, I really do live for that and and love that Maybe because I loved it when I experienced it. So I'm just trying to share that that love. Mm. And uh, I think that's mainly it. I think I just love it so much. I love tabletops. I love role playing. I love I feel like so many people sit on it. It's such a good even the most basic sense where you're literally just flipping a coin, it, whether you succeed or fail and you're just in a, in a group telling a story together. I think it's just such a really such a beautiful um, powerful thing and it's a lot of fun so i just try and share it with as many people i can which leads me to dming a lot <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that um we're gonna go to tabletop role-playing games and why are they great beautiful so why are they great can you tell me one of your best memories of any tabletop role-playing games that is just stuck with you so cemented in your mind that like anytime you talk about it that's the story that immediately comes to mind. That's a good one. Let me think. Man, so many. I think, honestly, it might be two answers. Because one of my favorite experiences as I was DMing was getting someone into it who like had no interest in it. Mm -hmm. They were just like a good friend of mine and a good friend of the group. And we were like, hey, you should play. And they were like, yeah, sure. You know, kind of being funny. They're like that nerdy shit, you know, like, not, you know, because like, they're <laughs> very much an active, like athletic person. They could never see themselves uh, playing Dungeons Dragons or anything. And it was they're playing Dungeons Dragons. They made a monk and uh, we, were, we were just running around. And I just remember they rolled and they rolled a natural 20 and they jumped up out of their chair and they were like, yeah, like they got so excited about the roll and everybody just like looked over and they were like, yeah, I'm having a good time, you know? And it was just like, 
that sense of turning, changing someone's mind over uh, mm. was really good. Probably, I feel like a moment of role playing that I played in. Uh, we were running Vampire the Masquerade, and I was I was playing. This was like my first Vampire the Masquerade ever campaign, and we were running. I don't know if it was a module. It was very large. The story was so I feel like it was a module. But we were in Egypt, Egypt by night, in um, any old city in World of Darkness is nightmarish mm-hmm. because the vampires that do live there are very old, so they're going to be very powerful. They're going to have their fingers into a lot of things. You know, like lots of things are going to be happening. So, and. Uh, it was just, it was so fun doing that. And I just remember like everybody doing their thing. And I, one of the characters was a Ravnos, which is like a trickster kind of. And the whole time they were like helping me out and helping the group out. And like, they were just being there for everybody. And at the very end, we found this like ancient vampire who had like this magical disease basically that gave them power, but it also made them like very cursed. And I remember mm. there was like this moment where they were like speaking with this person and the the person the vampire was like wanting to pass on their curse and like you were supposed to be like fuck no like we're not you don't want your magical curse you know and i just remember the ravnos just like looking at them and looking at us and being like i'll do that i'll take it and just all of us like the betrayal of it you know like (laughs) i I had never experienced anything like that where you know we're all on a team together and suddenly they're the the antagonist or they're you know they're the aggressor and that was really interesting i feel like that'll stick with me forever that that turnaround you know those uh stabs in the back yeah. that you're that are completely unexpected mm-hmm. yeah um if you can talk your players into that while you're dming you can really have um probably one of the best in-game rp moments if oh, the yeah. party doesn't see it coming and this is where the collaborative storytelling really comes into play because you mm-hmm. can, as a DM, go to a player who is not enjoying their pl- uh, character, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've came to you. Or maybe you're having issues with balance for their character. Maybe their character just isn't not having fun, but they keep dropping because maybe they did something wrong with building it. Right. Maybe they put a low con in it and they're like, I don't want that now. Right. Uh, can I change characters? If they have that, talking to them and having them start secretly working for the BBEG. Yes. You can tell all kinds of stories with that. Oh, yeah. So tabletop role playing games as a whole has affected a lot of people. Has it done anything to influence your personal life? Or has it uh, changed your life in any way? I would say definitely. Um, besides just the interest, you know, my it, my interest in fantasy and my interest in uh, the fantastic and, and science fiction and, and just like looking for, for outside sources, I feel like that it definitely whetted my appetite for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel though, just being a, a storyteller in general, like just even just telling stories with, with people and like being able to read a, a group, you know, you're hanging out with your friends and you like notice that one person's not talking as much because that's what you do during the game. You notice that one person hasn't been being involved in the in the story or putting input into it. You know, So I feel like that it's it's created in me. A want and desire to maybe not a want, that's not the right word. It's created in me 
the awareness of how how conversation flows and how how stories you know can be told interpersonally not just in a tabletop setting mm. i don't know if that makes sense yeah but yeah. It's, it, it's bled into yeah my uh everyday interactions it, it has given you a heightened sense of empathy definitely oh yeah and it, it, that especially because you get to be as many characters as you could have you could play and come to the table and be a selfish person you're not mm. a selfish person in real life, but you can be a selfish person at the table and you can kind of be all these different people and be all these different things. Much like reading a book, you can kind of experience what it would be like to lose your father, what it would be like to, you know, avenge your your brother, you know, like whatever these darker like thoughts may be. But you can kind mm. of experience on, on an empathetic level and then really explore like with the kind of person that you want to be and the values that you appreciate. You know, I always say that all mythos, all religion is just uh it's a story. It's a, any myth is just a story with a, a point or a lesson, you know, and mm-hmm. every character or, you know, Thor, Ch- uh, Ra, um, anyone, Jang A from Dynasty Warriors, like if you see a character and you and you like a character or you um, it like connects with you, I always encourage people to look at those characters and like look at what values they have. Like what what about that character do you like? Is it because they they enjoy um learning and they're like curious for new knowledge is it that they're strong and they're brave and they don't they don't shy away from conflict you know that they stand by their their morals and their ideals and i think that's going to give you a greater insight to what you want for yourself Mm -hmm. and i think role playing helps with that a lot much like reading a book though but definitely uh i've always found that role playing helped me come out of my shell it made me a more social person and all candor aside i am kind of a hermit i don't like being in large social in uh interactions i get anxiety even though i'm very outgoing Mm -hmm. if there's too many people you know you start to feel that little bit of anxiousness and you feel you start to feel that little bit of anxiousness and it's okay tabletop role-playing games have helped me tone that back that i can actually handle those situations and i know there's multiple people out there that have used them um therapeutically Mm -hmm. to do the same things so i i completely get the empathy Mm -hmm. uh becoming closer with your players you know understanding when they're hurting right being able to see those kind of emotions in a larger scale setting when you are not at the table too right. is a pretty big thing. Definitely. If you had to go on your stream tonight and pitch them tabletop role-playing games, mm-hmm. you had to play the sleazy car salesman. How would you sell them on tabletop role-playing games? Ooh. Um, let's see. I would sell sleazily <laughs> that's that was you a, don't have to be yeah, I, was like, I was just thinking i was like hey, you could be kind of bad with role playing i and i i feel like i advocate it too like to a lot of my family my family is very much like not into it i don't think anyone in my family ever read a book you know that they weren't made to read basically mm-hmm. not everyone but the majority so i and i would sell it to them anyone the way i sell it to them is that like we're already going to hang out we're already going to be drinking we're already going to be you know eating f- good food we, and you know we're already gonna be telling stories we're gonna be like remember that time that so-and-so remember that time and so-and-so like let's so let's make some new memories let's like let's see what's gonna happen like you know what what would you do in this situation and i feel like 
everyone plays that everyone plays like would you rather you know like would you rather mm. keep hop into this dragon's mouth or would you rather jump off this cliff where you can't see the bottom you know like that's the kind of scenarios that you're going to be that you're going to see i don't know i would sell it on that fact honestly but just good times it's always a good time you're just hanging out with your friends you're you're going to be you know whatever drink you want juice or alcohol you get good food and you just spend time good time with your good friends uh having fun and laughing and, and being dumb and being silly and and you can be as serious as you want but uh, a lot of it's is there is no weight to it you know it's like it's mm. just a silly game yeah, exactly what are some of the challenges you face when running your game online the major one i think and it it's just how it is with new people is that if you're if it's not a group of people that you're friends with getting mm. that chemistry going is very difficult like going from who was it matt coville i think matt coville said it but he's like how you go from just being a group of random people sitting around a table to a group of friends playing D&D, like it's hard that's the hardest switch mm. is to get especially if you're not like a close-knit friend because a lot of times if you if you're friends and you know you know each other for a while that that chemistry will shine through you're just mm. you are just having a good time so i think that playing online with especially with new people is always harder to like to get the chemistry going everyone's a little nervous me included but also just you're not at a table so you, a lot of the nuances of f- physical language are kind of out there you know and um they're gone you're not you're not seeing someone's hands move as much or the way they're like seem nervous or like shiftily looking around a lot it's harder to convey specifically to each person like the story make sure that they're like interacting like they have a, a voice in the story you know it's harder i feel like and on an online setting to make sure that they feel that okay whereas at the table you can kind of just like right after the the you know the, right after the adventure right after the session you could sit down and talk with them you know and uh, the Barbarian's a Lemuria game. I'm going to keep coming back to it because no, it's, what it. you're, it's what you're doing right now. Definitely, yeah. That game, we are actually running into this situation right now because I personally do not know really any of you. Right. You know, we're acquaintances because we're all streamers. Right. We've talked to each other, but we, you know... Until like a couple weeks ago, I didn't even know your real name was Alan. Right. <laughs> so it was Asmo like, is the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always Asmo or, you know, hey, let's play with the devils on. Yeah. You know, it's so, yes, that switch that you're talking about, it's there. We're dealing with it right now. Right. And it, it's funny because if you have that little bit of leeway into it, like we're all streamers, we've all kind of talked to each other, we already had a little bit of chemistry. But right. now that we're actually streaming, you can see it on stream how well we build upon each other. Definitely. And how much it's grown from like episode one to now, like we've just gotten more and more comfortable being interacting with each other in those kind of ways. Exactly. With you saying earlier that it's harder to get people to interact online, how much harder is it to actually bring them to that immersion? What do you do to try and ease that immersion so they can pay attention easier Mm -hmm. um i try and maybe unsuccessfully sometimes to make sure that i focus each person like i make sure to go to each person and and not just say like what are you doing but like and this may be coming to later with another question you may have but i always try and design at least one npc that knows Mm -hmm. the character or that at least will go to interact with this character. Cause I feel like you as the DM and you as a storyteller, it's your responsibility to be the first one 
no one is unless you have great players like you're you're a great player because you're a dm obviously um but no, unless, unless you have great that. players who are like will step up to the plate immediately and they're they're just hungry not just for interaction but for like um movement and like doing something in your world you know they're, you're like what do you do that kind of gives no player anything you're like what do you do you're on a boat it's just like nothing i guess i sit up top you know but if you're like <laughs> uh, the captain comes to you you know and he like he's like oh how's it going you know you kind of get that that conversation going you get them being like oh i can do things in the world you know mm. so definitely i try and create uh, something in the world that interacts with them not just waiting for them to interact with the world even if it's just something in the 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 structure that they're on, you know, the floorboard gives way and they drop it, you know, like whatever, just something that moves them or interacts with them in the world. You're pulling a little Cobra Kai strike first, no mercy. <laughs> strike first, no mercy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so w- this comes back to the, the running for new players. Cause that's, uh, we're a new group. It's all online. When you're running online, do you, how do you adjust to people not having virtual dice rollers? Mm-hmm. Is it, are you entirely trusting of them or, you know, uh, do you normally prefer those virtual dice rollers? Actually, I prefer physical die me personally, just cause I think it's more fun. I've never had an issue with cheating at a table. Mm-hmm. So I never really had to deal with that. I feel like I would, it, just take that person aside and be like, it's just a game. Like, why, why, you know what I mean? But also, and this may be just me, my, my style of play. I feel like, I don't know. I don't really give people reasons to have to cheat, you know, like even Mm. if you miss one of my biggest issues is that a lot of DMS make their players almost into fools, you know, Mm. like you're, you're an assassin. You've been doing this for decades. You've killed Kings. Um, you rolled, even if it's a one, if it's a two, you know, barring a, a, a critical miss. Um, but they're like, you know, you, you slip and you shoot in the ceiling or, you know, you like your string breaks and it hits you in the face or like something stupid always happens instead of you just missing or or even better is if you like the enemy has a shield and they lift their shield and it shatters on their shield, you know, or they like they dodge, you know, or even if they throw themselves wildly to the floor to dodge their arrow, like give them a reason to not feel weak. And then I feel like it's less of a miss. And so they're not going to be trying to dodge those misses, you know, like they're gonna be like, Oh, I did miss. Um, but I've really never had an issue with it. So I, I don't care either way. Um, physical die is fine with me. If I feel like it's been an issue, like I'm like, you've been rolling a lot of natural twenties, <laughs> you know, I maybe, maybe I'll talk to them and, and talk about getting a physical roller, but mostly oh, yeah. physical die. And during your game currently, there was a situation in which uh, Ronan played by the Knicks best thing. Uh, and Danik had an altercation where Danik had a, I'm going to assume it's cursed because I didn't want to let it go. And I was trying to pickpocket something off of him to show him that even though you're paying attention, things can be stolen from you anyways. In that situation, it was like, I can roll over here, but since it's PVP, I feel more like I should... Right have something that people can see so i asked you to roll the dice for me right um because i wanted everyone to know this is on the up and up yep. you know i'm not fudging a dice to get one over on nicks you right. know nicks isn't fudging to get over on me right you know i there are situations like that that i i do prefer right. the virtual Rolling roller so so everyone can see it 
Um, but I completely understand the wanting to roll your click clacks. Yeah. I want to hear <laughs> them person. hit the wood. <laughs> well, I, I going to that. Um, and I feel like that was beautiful on your part to, to kind of give the autonomy to, or the, give the, the power over to me per se. Um, cause I feel like that's something, cause we hadn't discussed PVP in our session mm-hmm. zero, which is kind of like in hindsight, a bad thing, but, uh, everyone kind of rolled with it really well. And I think a, a big part of it was that you were like, I'm being very open, the open, like I'm not trying to screw anyone over and you, you weren't trying to steal it permanently. You were just trying to make a point. And I think that's the biggest thing is that you don't want the characters feel like they don't have autonomy you know you don't i i hate in general honestly i hate stunning and paralyzing characters because i'm taking away their action like i feel like that is almost too much because you don't want to make your characters feel powerless or feel like they can't do anything mm-hmm. hurt them or or make them slow or you know whatever but don't take away their decision and so i think a lot of times that is abused in some games you know they're like i you know th- i hate it when a rogue's like um and and in barbarians the money is not as much of an issue um mm-hmm. you kind of just have whatever you need when you get treasure eventually you do that's kind of how you level up you, you describe how you, you spend the money basically uh mm-hmm. and, and i just give you experience points based on how fun or interactive it is so it's not as much of an issue of like you were stealing gold but i've played with rogues before you know and they're like they're going off by themselves they're searching and then they find a chest and it's full of 200 gold in it whatever and there's like i'll put that away and they pocket it and don't share it with the party you're taking mm. away the autonomy of the yes. party you know you're like i get it um but unless it's been if if beforehand everyone's like that's cool like pvp is cool and like we're in especially if the dm is you know giving everyone gold and giving them the equipment they need but i've been in parties again where we don't have that you know you have you're scrounging for gold and like every potion and arrow, like you barely have enough gold for the equipment on your back. And so I feel like those two things, if you're not, if you're not supplying your characters and then you're also having other characters like take things away, I think they can get very exacerbate each other, like those issues. But mostly it's just about giving your players autonomy. I really like to just make sure that they feel like they have control over like what's going on and like nothing's happening that's outside their control. Mm. Um, I, I do agree with that. Right now, some of the players that I'm running for, they are fighting illithids, yeah. mind flayers, and they have what's called a psionic blast. It deals psychic damage, and it stuns them for a minute, but they get a saving throw every round. Every round. But if they fail that throw, it can take them out of combat for so so long. Right. Now, I don't, I don't, I really hate not giving my players the ability to do something on their turn mm-hmm. but i do feel like it instills that sense of dread right. as the mind flare gets close and it starts to envelop those tentacles right now but you don't do it every combat this is no, like no, no, no. a huge huge event yeah. yeah now as a dm and this is a dm tip is i per i might purposely make the mind flare go a little bit slower at what they're doing to right. give them the opportunity to get out or to have their party save them. Cause my goal is not to kill my party. Right. It is to tell a story. Exactly. Now, if they are doing, I don't want to say dumb things, but if they are rushing into a room that they know there are five illithids in there, they haven't cast buff spells or anything like that. They're just mm-hmm. going in, you know, swinging for the fences. There might be a death. Yes. You know, because they're not prepared for it. They didn't right. take the time to s- set up a plan like, okay, 
we know there's five of them in there. We want to walk in. We want to focus one down at a time or anything. Right. No, they just go in willy-nilly. Everyone picks a target and goes. Right. Those are the kind of situations where that's done. I don't really feel bad about using it. Yeah, absolutely not. No. But most of the time, if you're looking for a good story, it's okay to strip them. Yep. But make sure that you're doing something to kind of offset it. Right, definitely. Maybe the Illithid can't get to that person right away. Maybe they take their move action towards them mm-hmm. and lava spell at someone else. Mm-hmm. They're not just moving up, sucking brain right, right off the bat. So I, I completely agree with the autonomy I do, of that. I do like, though, like you like you were saying, like there's got to be risk and there has to be like um, consequences. Definitely, if you're going to play stupid games, you're going to get stupid prizes. And if, you know, if especially if I, on session zero, I'm like, hey, we're going to play a very risk-heavy game. Like death mm. is going to be very real. You know, that's going to be very different than if I'm like, hey, we're going to be a bunch of idiots and we're just going to run around and, and be stupid. You know, you're going to have like different lethal, lethal, <laughs> lethal levels. But I do, yes, like you were saying, like appreciate. It's got to feel like there's risk to it, you know. Like there's got to mm-hmm. be a little, a little fear um, in in the outcome of your character's actions. I I do agree with that, and uh, like session zero coming in and saying, okay, guys, this is a meat grinder campaign. I want you to make three characters. This is oh. what you're going to start with, mm-hmm. and just so you know, I'm going to roll everything on the table in front of you. I'm going to play intelligences as mm-hmm. they should be played so that 18 Intel mind flare knows I've got that guy stunned. I'm going, I'm sucking his brain out because yep. this is a meat grinder. Mm-hmm. You are to try and survive. Yep. You know, if you just healed or cast magic, every archer is focused firing on you. Every exactly. warrior is coming for you. You're not just going to get to float around on the back casting spells. <laughs> exactly. Uh, use ritual spells to get yourself like a invisible servant that holds up a shield in front of you so you have some cover (laughs) use those are for more veteran players yep um the meat grinders but they're still fun in their own right oh yeah definitely if you come into it knowing it so much fun when it comes to your players personal opinion are you more of a pdf or hard copy book person hard copy i feel like i've owned every book ever not stolen, obviously. I didn't download them. Um, <laughs> I every copy of every tabletop book ever, basically, on PDF. And I just, looking through them is such a nightmare, even using the search tool. And I feel like it's just using that hard copy. Man, I guess maybe it's just because I read them so much. But, man, you could open up a DMG straight to whatever you were looking for. If, you were, if you've done enough, you know, you write mm. to the equipment list or write to the, the magic items, the the treasure rolling, you know, like you need the treasure charts to or tables for for the characters roll treasure. Like you can pop it open real quick and find what you're looking for. So I definitely yeah. prefer a, a hardback. Now, I I'm the same way. I have hardback books lying in my shelf right yeah. here. I have bookcases over there. Um, I have always been a hardback person. Uh, with the with the release of D and D Beyond and pdfs as a whole lately like paizo mm-hmm. publishing when you buy a book from them you also get their pdf mm-hmm. they have now put in that like syllabus on the side that lets you know where everything is mm-hmm. they have gotten easier to use on computer but i still like the feel of the pages in my hand as yeah. i'm running a game mm-hmm. 
So, and definitely for just reading purposes, I'd prefer to read a hardback, like PDFs, if I'm just like reading through a new rule book or something and trying to familiar, familiarize myself with it. I definitely oh, just yeah. prefer reading a hardback as opposed to looking at a screen. Yeah, I definitely would like to more relax in my recliner and read yeah. or, yeah. you know, if if I'm upstairs watching movies with the kids, but it's a movie I've seen a billion times, I'd rather be sitting there on the couch with the kids being able to read my book. Yep. Not in front of a computer. Screen. Not in front of the computer. Exactly. So uh, I think we've covered a lot. I think we should talk about writing a story because writing go. a story for any tabletop role-playing game is one of the most important aspects of the game of a dm's toolkit uh so with that how often how do you often determine the story you want to run mm -hmm. hmm. so it it depends a lot on again the session zero and the group kind of that's going into it um kind of what they're looking for because i always ask like what do you what do you want to play um mm. especially in like we were talking about vampire earlier vampire really lends itself to like mystery and noir and uh um uh inter centrifuge no not a centrifuge that's a spinning top uh what is it when they're like spy or sneaky subterfuge subterfuge thank you it is a skill you were on the vampire yeah so close um and they kind of lend themselves a lot to that you know and i'm not ever not every group's gonna want to do that a lot of groups are gonna want to run even in vampire they're gonna want to run out and fight hunters and fight other vampires and fight werewolves and they're just they're mm -hmm. gonna want to do that you know but some characters are gonna want to play the social characters and really and and do a lot of pvp and like have you know conflicting interest and, mm -hmm. and so it, it all starts there really like with how what story i'm going to give them um and then from there i put to start pulling from books and and shows and like trying to find like a core storytelling point that i'm trying to like meet um and then i like to work backwards i always and i i was watching something and they kind of described the way that i dm is uh my stories kind of come out like uh professional wrestling stories come out mm -hmm. There's a lot of it's just big dramatic moments and they're just kind of tied together loosely. <laughs> so I just I always think of like, oh, it'd be cool if you know this happened. And then I just kind of work backwards from that that moment of trying to get to that that big dramatic, fantastic um event. I I work I tend to work backwards as well. Like mm -hmm. when I am writing the story, generally I want to make my villain first. Like, I don't care what the story is at the beginning. I need to know who my evil guy is. What mm -hmm. is his motivation? Once I have the BBEG of the campaign, I will start building the, the story out from him. You know, how he's involved, what ways into the society he's involved. You know, how does this grow out to be the player's problem? Um, one of the things I'm working on right now is I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Welcome to the Internet by Bo Burnham. Yes, I have, yeah. It is very... Bo, in that song, sounds very much like a cartoon villain. Yeah. But at the same time, everything that he's talking about is such a real issue with society being too much into the social media, too much into these platforms that give you videos and ways to learn and be entertained at the right. drop of a hat. 
And I was just like, oh, that, you know, he is such a cartoon villain. That would be a perfect villain for a uh, sci-fi game. Yes. Let's let's run a uh, Starfinder game from Paizo, you know? Let me run a Starfinder game, and it's it's Bezo Corp. We're going to base the, the corporation off of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and the Bezo Corp is this conglomerate of corporations that are all about doing viral videos and everything in uh, different worlds around the solar system. Now, the players, the reason they're getting involved is because the people doing these videos are having catastrophic effects on, like, societies and uh maybe ecosystems like maybe there's some uh genius who is you know a thermonuclear physicist right and he's like oh i'm gonna go to this planet that's you know uninhabited i'm gonna blow up one of their mountains to create a volcanic reaction little do they know that there is actually a society of underground people there you know but he's doing it for the views and for Bezo Corp. Right. And so it's like very morally gray. It's hard. You yeah. know, you're going after these people and it's like they accidentally did it. They almost weren't trying to be evil. What do you do with that? Yeah. So the whole goal is to maybe and this this does has no way, shape or form to real life. I'm not trying to go after YouTube or <laughs> any other media platform. Shut it down. Fight Club style. <laughs> But it's like you could easily have uh, the leader of this Bezo Corp being some evil genius who's oh, yeah. actually putting these thoughts into people to go do these evil things for conglomerate means. That planet, that that uh, volcano erupted, the planet, the people were wiped out. Little did they know that that planet is a high value fuel site. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the remnants are going to yield high amounts of thermonuclear uh, fuel mm-hmm. for ships. There could be any number of things you could do with that. So I always start with a villain and I work back with their motivations and then I work in the smaller villain villains that are working underneath and then I'll write the story on how to stitch it all together. It's It can be a long process, but it's, it's often the funnest one for me. Right. So uh, when you're writing a story, just determine your players. Right. I really like, uh, like you were, A, I love that character idea. That's so amazing. Uh, especially because it's, it's going to be very hard for them to attack this, that BBG, that BBEG mm-hmm. outright because you almost become the criminal in that sense. Yep. They haven't done anything wrong. So your vigilanteism is illegal and could be, you know, punished under in whatever court of law is applicable to them so that's always fun to give them that kind of dilemma is like they really hate this person but they Mm -hmm. can't get to them directly Um, i love that it kind of puts them in like the shoes of anonymous in our society honestly so like how how can we get to this guy and get at him but not directly or not tied to us how that's his great story and you know the the big final battle could just be them in a room no mm-hmm. combat, but get him to slip up with them having a cybernetic camera in a corner, catching mm-hmm. him on video, you know, laughing about it and singing this song. Yep. You know, and maybe that's how the 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 game ends is with him singing this song. And next day it's all over multimedia platforms that yep. he's being taken into custody and tried as, you know, this big villain. Yep. 
no fight necessary yeah <laughs> it's a story so yeah. um when dealing with building societies what materials do you rely on when applying your craft hmm i really like i always oof, that's hard because i try not to and this is just my the way i build because i i build things very i have very uh what's it called uh soft world building mm-hmm. right that's i think that's what it's called soft world building so there i a lot of my um things aren't solid they're ambiguously happening um if you ask me why this city had iron you know or like i, I put some thought into it obviously but i'm not going to be able to be like oh this because this nearby city has iron coming out of the mountains and they ship it over here and then they tax it here and it's made to make these really good weapons like i just don't have that kind of uh, I, I think I just have too much attention deficit to focus on that kind of thing. So I always um, build very loosely and freely. And, and I really don't choose any one specific culture. I like to choose a lot of different cultures and kind of mash them up until they're very unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Just because, A, I don't have, I feel like, I don't feel like I could put in the amount of work that would be respectful to a lot of cultures, you know, like, and, and not, and not make it sort of, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, like stereotypical or, or anything like that. Like I just really want to stay away from that. So anything yeah. that I use, um, I mean, it's, I'm like magic world. It can kind of be however it is, you know, I try to um, try not to be too specific. I like to be very soft world building. Mm. A tool that people might want to look at using if you're trying to actually build a society is maybe go to like Google maps or, or not Google maps, but Google type in the country and when the country looks uh, comes up, generally they have a feed out for what the country is. Like, this is your population. These are your major exports. These are your major businesses, all that. Try and do something maybe like that uh, to get a feel for your country. Don't, don't take their heritage and culture as a whole. Make that, make your own culture and everything up, but use that as a guideline to um set up your economy and situation of the country your cities that if you have that little bit of interest generally your culture will come along with it if it's a major city obviously it's going to have a more prevalent culture if it's a small town it's probably going to be a closer knit you know think amish people mm-hmm. you know they're they're going to be tightly knit they're going to be more leery of outsiders. You can do so much. And I shouldn't say Amish people are leery of outsiders. I'm not <laughs> saying that. I'm not saying that. I, what I'm saying is, you know, smaller communities tend to look at outsiders and pay more attention to them when they come in mm-hmm. because they are uh, obviously an outsider. Right. And notice. So I really like that. Um, that's such a good idea, though, to, to go and like look up and just use the, the basically the skeleton of the mm-hmm. country you know because that that breeds so many storytelling ideas like if you know you randomly pick a country and their main export is a fruit make up some magical fruit or just so mm-hmm. you know some fantastical fruit uh why does it grow here very well is there a volcano nearby maybe yeah. that like that it create makes the soil very fertile um does it rain a lot you know or yeah. does this fruit it, it thrives in dry environments you know you can pull a lot off of just one little fact like that like that they they sell a lot of fruit oh yeah not only that but it actually spider webs into other cultures that are around it because 
maybe your next door neighbor uh, makes wine with your fruit. Right. And maybe they export that wine to their neighbors mm -hmm. and back to you. So, right. And what does of, that high wine culture look like? You know, like they're yeah. going to have a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's rat people, Skaven, that have a French accent and they <laughs> so love good. wine and cheese. <laughs> you know, someone write that down. Fucking write that, that, that down. <laughs> that actually is a uh, how I play my uh, Skaven in my games. Yes, <laughs> they love wine and cheese. They're very uh, fancy. <laughs> they they are French and they're very good with uh, rapiers and stuff like that. That's so cool. That's awesome. With that, uh, we go into like writing new races. Uh, with new races, think about things that. How how do I phrase this? When you're creating a new race, think about how they are going to impact your society obviously drow in older editions orcs in older editions were viewed as evil races that's not the now though now they you know they're like everyone else there are maybe barbarian clans that are devoted to an evil uh demon lord but, but it's not there but this group of them over here is not you right. know the same thing you have human cultists you have orc cultists dwarven cultists you can have every race do that think about how you want to bring a new race into your world are they going to be a common race a rare race um maybe i know like the new unearthed arcana for dungeons and dragons they just released uh the hair folk harrigan uh rabbit people oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay and it's like okay well I'm bringing rabbit people into my world. How do they fit? What kind of, how do they affect a society with rabbits being, you know, generally burrowing creatures. Maybe they're more akin to hobbits. Maybe you want to base the hobbit society off of them. And instead of hobbit holes for halflings, you have maybe the halflings are your arrogant magic using race of the world. You know, mm -hmm. maybe maybe the magic stinted their growth and they never became fully human. Right. There's there's all kinds of weird janky ways you can explain new things. Right. Definitely. I like kind of where one of my because I have different gripes and, and likes with 5e. But one of the big things I like is they are they're kind of moving away from like if you choose a class, you can be a strong elf. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're weaker, that it takes away. Uh, from your strength and i kind of i kind of like that like you can kind of i don't know how you would do it or how you would set up the rule system but to where you just give everyone a blanket like you can play whatever you want but two things can go up and one thing has to go down you know like so you're mm -hmm. i'm a bar you're an orc but i'm very intelligent so i have two intelligence two wisdom and then since i was intelligent and educated i didn't really work out a lot so my strength goes down to one you know you can yeah. i feel like if you just made it very universal kind of coded system that's just me personally i mean it, it, everyone's gonna want those those hard line you know like th that real customization that comes with and that's actually a good kind of a good point off topically is that like i know a lot of people that don't like that because then everyone kind of can be, be is be it's good and bad that everyone can kind of be anything and do anything um used to in like in you you'll remember this but like in 3.0 and 3.5 if you were a wizard you couldn't you weren't swinging a sword you were never swinging no no put that down like why are you doing that really unless you like really really focused and like tried to build meta you know yeah multi-class or something into it if you were just a wizard you weren't doing it but now you can play a wizard and easily 
just play a sword or yeah sword sorcerer what mm. is it called yeah a spell sword basically yeah the blade, blade the arcane knight or yeah stuff like singer. that and it's just super easy to kind of just do whatever and i feel like you do kind of lose out on some of it because it's like feeling them those niches is fun as a party you know you're like i'm the talker or i'm fast so i mm. can't be the strong one or i can't know the magic but now you everyone kind of can know magic and everyone can kind of be the strong one and it's just becoming a lot more muddled for good or mm. for good or ill see and i'm one of those people that i've never followed that hard line if somebody wanted to play something i always supported it yeah and we would always work a way to do it um i had a player once play a uh, back in 3.5, they didn't have, well, they had Goliaths, but they hadn't come out yet. They had right. the psionics book, so they had half giants. Yeah. And I had a player who wanted to play a half giant rogue. And everybody was like, you can't Damn. play a half, you can't play a half giant rogue. You're, you're not going to be able to hide. You're not going to be able to do this. And it's like, you take a penalty to decks. And I'm like, well, maybe we're working with, you know, different kinds of half giants. So, mm -hmm. I worked with the player. We made him, I, I believe we made him a half forest giant, which were like archers in yeah. older edition. So instead of getting just a negative dex, he got a plus one to dex, mm -hmm. you know, but he still had the plus two to strength and right. everything else. And he took negatives elsewhere, like wisdom. Right. I really like that because um, I used to, what I would do, because I had a character the, way before they had Dragonborn in the books that wanted to play a Dragonborn. Um, or actually they wanted to play a lizard person and I just told like just use the orc stats and you look like a lizard person like it wasn't a big deal to mm. just kind of to, to, to do that but uh, you were man I just had a thought and maybe I lost it but you were just saying that, <laughs> um, oh do you remember like the old books the sword and silence no the song and silence they were like yes. the supplemental books for 3.5 the, yes. the stone or sword and fist and like all these different books mm. um, to supplement like generally different things that were kind of grouped together like bards and rogues but yeah. I remember reading through it and they would have an example of every race as that class. Mm -hmm. And so I loved the bards for the orcs and the rogues for the orcs because the rogue orcs were basically like, no, I mean, yeah, they can sneak up and stab you with a great axe. But really, they're like they're brutes, you know, like they're not sneaking around. They're like the the bashers for the, the thieves guild. Mm -hmm. They come in and they're, they're like, where's our protection money? You know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like they they know of all the same skills and, and, and thoughts and like intelligence, but they use their strength for it and just like they would mm. a bard you know a bard is uh, you know you could play an orc bard with a loot but you know what does an orc bard look like that has two maces and he uses them like drums you know he's like playing exactly. on people's heads like that's gonna look a lot different as mm. opposed to yeah i have a ton of stories about that um like <laughs> the, so the goliath the or not goliath the half giant rogue yeah um the half giant rogue I, it made for so many good role-playing things especially when he rolled a one on stealth and people are like, okay, we can see you. And he's like, no, you can't. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just standing there and I grab the nearest branch and I hold it in front of me. <laughs> and you have like Shaquille O'Neal hiding behind a light pole or something. Yeah. You know, it's just so obvious he's there because he's so big. But then when he gets behind someone with a, or flanks someone with a great axe and hits mm -hmm. him, he's like just demolishing them because just of the destroys people. Oh, yeah. And uh, we actually had a dwarven bard one time, and yeah, his 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 weapon of choice was a light mace and a symbol that he used as a shield. That's so good. And when he wasn't doing that, he was just using it like a ting ting <laughs> during mm -hmm. songs, and he was playing chant. on that. Oh yeah, and being a chanty, I love chanting bards. So cool. 
yeah writing writing your story with that kind of stuff doesn't limit you to what the book says Mm -hmm. build outside of a book write your story the way you want right if anything give yourself limitations because limitations were going to force you to be more creative with a a situation if you give Mm -hmm. someone you can do whatever you want that's you know very very large order but if you're like uh the world has no sun Mm. you know you're gonna have to build characters that can that are gonna survive and thrive in this new setting without the use of most sight exactly and the other thing about moving away from your uh as they say the book is a guideline as you move away from the guidelines to create your new races and everything else you have to think about social conflicts and if you are doing russian dwarves you know and you're doing um most people go with like english accents for elves you know that soft uh very proper etiquette but maybe maybe instead of english you go straight up scottish right you know and they're the highlander type elves right and now you have russians coming in how uh that brings a whole new uh relationship definitely to it because Obviously, Russians, you know, they're going to uh, older Russians are going to, you know, recognize and respect strength. So mm-hmm. me, the elves and the dwarves in this world are actually great uh, allies. Yeah. You know, they drink together regularly. You know, maybe it's gnomes and dwarves have mm-hmm. this all out war and gnomes now get a bonus when defending against dwarves and dwarves get a bonus to hit gnomes. Right. All kinds of things you can do. And that builds into lore. When talking about lore, how do you like to set up your backgrounds? Ooh, that's a good one. So, have you ever read the Lazy DM? Yes, yes. I love the Lazy DM. I kind of do it like that. I set up points um, mm-hmm. that I kind of pull from, especially if I'm if I'm going really in depth and and I have before. But when you're like really delving into the story of your world that you're creating and events, um, I like to do eras. Um, in the first era, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. In the second era, this happened, this happened, this happened. And just you like big, broad, like whether it was a meteor strike or there was a war or if there was a famine, like just like put that as a point. And then you kind of weave together like or spider web out, like you were saying, like how did that affect this or were they tied together? You know, and that's kind of how I build my lore from, again, working uh, backwards. Actually, no, that's, mm-hmm. I guess in that sense, working forwards. But I just try to do big blocks of information and then I do three points and then each of those three points gets three points you know that kind of thing Mm. and for new dms out there uh an easy way to make this work for you is generally if you were home brewing start in one specific town do quests around that town for a few levels if they want to go to a bigger town then you start writing a little bit more about the area you don't have to flesh everything out have those four points for the area and maybe have three points of history for that like okay we're starting in harrowbrook harrowbrook has been a town for the last hundred years and three points about the town is the town was settled after uh colonists made a pact with fey in the area okay well what kind of pact was it well here's three things that could have possibly happened Mm -hmm. they don't have to be written in stone they're possibilities and maybe your characters go into the woods during one of their adventure and they find some fey 
that then you start building on one of those points. Mm -hmm. Maybe the the founder of the town was so enthralled with a nymph in the wood that he decided he's going to set up here and he's going to spend the rest of his life here trying to woo that nymph, though it never came about. Right. You know, that's that's an entire story right there. Oh, for yeah, me. 100%. And I love to lie to the players. Like, that mm -hmm. happened in a long time ago. So now the legend is that, you know, the founding fathers just fell in love with this beautiful person or you know they did they weren't fae technically they were just these outrageously otherworldly beauties and mm -hmm. then it slowly comes out through you know the play that that's that it was actually fae that fae are like you know whatever kidnapping people are using them um in some sort of you know manner but i do mm -hmm. love that like you're just because you create lore doesn't mean you need to give it to your players perfectly break yeah. it up a lot um red herrings are great for story as well um, and that's exactly what you were just doing right there is it's a red herring it wasn't a fae it was a beautiful person yeah okay well now we have proof that the founding father was a sleaze bag that mm -hmm. you know was enchanted yep and now your players aren't running to get iron cold yeah. iron to, to he, kill these guys because yeah. they don't know yeah maybe it was maybe it was like the the town leader had uh been enchanted by the fae and put the rest of his uh, people in jeopardy because he wanted to stay here. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that explains a whole reason the Fae might not like the people that are here is because, you know, maybe this nymph uh, was actually in love with the guy. Right. It's it breeds so many a things. lot of story. Yeah, it breeds yeah. a lot of story, definitely. And that's what you want is seeds. You want to plant seeds that you can water and grow. You know, you don't you want to plant a tree that you're going to chop down once and. Mm. and it'd be done with and as far as the town goes you know then you build on the town a little bit you start with a couple businesses think about well maybe these couple businesses have uh you don't have to flesh the entire town out you can but just realize that your players might not latch on to certain npcs never <laughs> um but what you can do is you can create your prominent NPCs, your town captain, your mayor, maybe the general store owner, the tavern keeper, and maybe there's an apothecary or an old wizard in town. Mm -hmm. Those are your stereotypical um, small town people. Your go -tos. And, and then what you do is as your players are coming along, jot down like 20 names. 20 different names. Always. And if, if you have trouble figuring out names, use Google, type in boy names, type in, and then From any language, any language. Um, and like I said, if your dwarves are Russian, type in Russian names. Yeah. I like to take names, you know, like in the game we're running, Aton, as the, I just took Jonathan. It's Jonathan, Aton, Athon. I just mm. took away the John. And made it a thon and made took away the h it's a ton like you can just take names you know and make changing the, the way the syllables are pronounced you know or the way the way things are like elongated you can make new words mm -hmm. like uh roy take away the y and you have row row you know row is Ro. a good name he's the you bartender know? he used to be a barbarian yeah yeah you can just i, I was gonna say that uh like Th if you think back to like old English and the way they did names, a lot of our names now are 
names that they they weren't surnames mm-hmm. like back then there was no thompson right mm-hmm. uh it was tom's son yep, son of tom mm-hmm. and then it slowly evolved over the years right do the same thing you know okay well this is uh joe son of tom you know and he's mm-hmm. a commoner right you know 100 percent because a lot of times that's that's what commoners names were mm-hmm. you know they this is rogar the son of brogar yep. you know i like uh that you were saying earlier um i, I remember my thoughts sorry uh i when i build npcs if i you know like sometimes your your players won't interact with them but i force i have events generally like i'll this is going to happen and i just tie an npc to that so like no matter who the npcs interact with at some point they're going to be in the the main shopping area and there's going to be a cart gets overturned the horse bolts and you know captain the guard captures it and brings it back over like some event's Mm going to happen that's going to kind of force that interaction if you're if you really want to if you're trying to get them to go to someone you know kind of like bring that person to them you know you don't have to wait for them to come to the magic shop the wizard can be out of his shop you know shopping in the in the market and you know, sees a thief and uses their magic to, you know, like whatever you can kind of like force those in. You don't want to railroad too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to still have that uh, agency, the player Absolutely. agency. Definitely. But things are just happening. <laughs> yeah. Like Asmo said, we, we need to find a way to get those people in there. You don't have, if they're not going to go to the tavern today, that's fine. So they're maybe not on going to the tavern. The next day on their way out of town, maybe they see the tavern keeper in the street and his cartwheel is busted. And he's just, you know, at this point, he's out there cursing and everything else. Maybe the players will go talk to him then. If they don't talk to him then and they go to the next town, guess what? That next town's tavern keeper. Maybe they go into there and talk to that tavern keeper. There's your plot point. Or it's even the same town. I love that if like I have an NPC and they're like they miss it and they go to another town. Guess who lives in that new town? <laughs> yeah, and you know then you just replace the old town's tavern keeper with yep. Willie over there. Uh-huh. You know? Yep, that you never met him anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> so building your story, you can your story can be set in stone, like how you want the story to go. Just remember to be fluid with the way the story flows for the players no oh, yeah. if if they zig you've got to zag with them mm-hmm. you know you've they're they're to, really in control yeah um no matter what you do the, at the end of the day the point is to have fun with your players to have that cooperative storytelling they're Absolutely. just as much part of the story as you are uh you might narrate it <laughs> yeah. you know and set it up but I guarantee the story is going to unfold way different than what you had planned. Ever, ever planned. That's right. Is there any other tips for story writing that you might recommend to DMs, GMs, storytellers out there? Mm, My main one, and you probably, everyone will probably hear this all the time is steal, steal like an artist. There's a million stories out there. There's a million worlds that have already built that I've already been built. um, And no one's going to notice if you take a map and turn it upside down. You know, and if you, if you color the, the lakes in as, in, as uh, you know, move the lakes around, move the rivers, whatever you got to do, no one's really going to notice. So don't be afraid to really steal. I mean, you can take directly from a movie or, or a video game that like a quest. I love to take finding like really cool quests from 
um, different RPGs. And I'm like, that would make a really good, you know, storyline or at least striking off point. Um, so that that's always my biggest tip. Just take everything, uh, make it your own, put your little spin on it, make it your, your own little creative spin. And then my mm. second tip uh, is that it's a game. Have fun. If, if you're going and someone's like, what's this guy's name? And his name's Joe. Just keep going. His name's Joe. Who cares? Like if it's a bunch of elves <laughs> and it's the elf named Joe, no one's going to, they're going to laugh and move on. Like it's not, it doesn't need to have a lot of the weight, um, which I feel like, especially with the, the onset of streaming um, tabletops, I feel like so many people kind of approach it now. Like it's just so much weight and gravity and it really doesn't need that. It can be that definitely. Um, 90% of my games across my entire life have never been that <laughs> they've never been there's there are moments that have a weight uh but they are uh Monty Python uh Benny Hill running around like it, it is a, it is just chaos and and fun and I think that's okay I think it's okay to just have mm. fun uh on that note steal like an artist for home games do not try and publish what you steal absolutely not well unless it's like you, you know you fully customize it yourself but yeah yes, if it's yes. if it's very obviously stolen don't uh put, what is it don't steal things. <laughs> don't 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 completely plagiarize. Yeah, plagiarize. Yeah, people, don't put your name pe- on something. People work hard for that. Absolutely. If you're gonna steal, um, you know, it's it's okay to take ideas, but make them your own. I mean, we're not you Disney know? here, who stole directly from old mythology and just called it Cinderella, and then you know marketed <laughs> it for themselves. You can or, change it a know, lot. <laughs> Hercules. Mulan, yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously. Know. Oh yeah. Anything like that. And that's, that's also a good place to go to for storytelling is read your books. People read you know, their social or multimedia is not the only access to knowledge and stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. You'll find a lot of it out there, but there are tons of books that have never even been seen in the media Absolutely. aspect. No one's so. going to know that you took this character. I take so many characters from books that I read, just like just their essence, you know, like just who they are as a person. And I'm like, no one's ever going to know because no one, four people have read this fantasy novel that, that I love, you know, like no one's ever going to know. I'm thrilled and excited for this journey. And I hope you'll join me in future endeavors. I'm Roy, the intrepid DM. And I want to thank my guest, Asmo, from Let's Play with the Devil on Twitch. Asmo. Why don't me? Why don't you tell me what you've been working on? What we can expect to see from future projects, and where, most importantly, where we can find you. Um, first of all, thank you, Intrepid, for having me. This has been a great time. You were wonderful. Uh, thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, I appreciate it. I know Intrepid appreciates it. Uh, you can I find do. me at twitch.tv let's slash let's play with the devil um, at Twitter, Twitter forward slash. I think it's. Yeah, let's play with the devil, but uh, with is WTH, if that matters at all. <laughs> um, but uh, right now, we're really just doing the Barbarians of Lemuria on Fridays, so you can catch us there. Fridays, 10 CT uh, Central. And um, hopefully going forward, I like this is just kind of a little one shot, but really I want to I want to run World of Darkness. I'd love to run some Vampire. I would love to run like Starfinder is what I've been playing recently. So I definitely want to um, going forward be be DMing more and running some more campaigns. So come by, leave a follow and you can catch us uh, in the future. Well, I can't say thank you enough, Asmo. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. It has been a pleasure. Um, I've only got one thing left to say to you, to all of you that are listening and that's be intrepid and journey on friends. Have a great evening, a great week, and I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Bye.
Join me every other Wednesday when the chapters of the Intrepid DM Journeys drops on various platforms. Next chapter will feature Rebecca Shalin, the creator of the Frostmark RPG and longtime DM. So join us the next time, and if you enjoyed this show, leave a review and a subscribe to get the newest chapters when they release. If you're looking for other content that will wet your palate, then check out TwistMyArmPodcast.com for more information on myself and the other talented podcasters from our network. Take a listen to Sudden But Inevitable with host Jesse, Best Flicks with Ricky D, and Quest Me with host Josh. And we cannot forget Marvel Canon Madness with that marvelous host, Chip. Disclaimer, the views, information, or opinions expressed during the Intrepid DM Journeys podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the Twist My Arm Network and its other content creators.